שלום, ברוכים הבאים. I'm Rabbi Chasio Uriel Steinbauer, founder and director of the Institute for Holiness, Kihilat Musar Mindfulness. I'm delighted that you have joined us, whether it's live right now, live streaming on all the available channels on our YouTube channel, from the website, uh, from social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you're coming from, from all over the world, welcome to you. You can also watch this recorded, obviously. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And also you can visit the website under the blog where all these audio and video of this program um, are offered as an offering to the public. This is called Awakening, Torah Musar Mindfulness. We've been offering this program for two years now. It's amazing. It's a blessing. We are now in the Hebrew year of Tashin Be Dalid, 5784. And we're beginning the cycle again. And I would have begun with you last Shabbat, after Shabbat, Motzei Shabbat here in Israel. Uh, it's now 9.44 p.m. at night here in Israel on Saturday, October 21st. And I didn't join you last week because, as you're probably aware, we are in the middle of a war from an awful act of genocide towards our people by the Palestinians, if you want to say Palestinian terrorists, if you want to say Hamas, if you want to say... um. Islamic Jihad, if you want to say Iran, Hezbollah, whomever uh, is responsible, it's a, it's a large question. Um, so we did not, we were not able to offer you Bereshit, which is normally translated as in the beginning. So I'm going to offer Bereshit right now, even though we just covered Arshat Noach, the second in the book of Genesis and Bereshit. So we will cover Bereshit. And then uh, we will close out for this segment and we will join again for Noah. Uh, try to be on top of things. So for this year, uh, we're going to be very focused and dedicated to addressing the grief and loss to the Jewish people and to humanity for the act of violence and massacre and genocide that happened in our land from the people crossing from Gaza into Israel. So for any spiritual discipline to be meaningful, full of purpose and life, it has to be able to address the day-to-day -day mundane holiness and the moments of trauma of how we're going to be able to take refuge and community in the teachings together to be able to survive this. I don't want to use the word recovery because that's loaded for many reasons, which I'll address. Um, but we're going to dedicate this year to this path towards healing, towards surviving, towards really holding one another and getting through this. So uh, 
I intend to tread lightly. I intend to have a focus. Um, before we begin, we always cover our covenant, our intentions for today's uh, teaching, which is meant to cover, just to keep our dates straight, this Shabbat is Saturday, October 14th, from Friday night to Saturday night. It was the 29th of Tishrei. And um, so we're jumping into Bereshit. So let me first cover our um, Kavanot, our intentions, which uh, have always been with us this whole time. But now I think they they take on new meaning. So let's look. We see this time together in awakening as caring for the self, an act of radical self-care. So we're doing this to strengthen our own souls. And we're doing it to strengthen our relationship to the self, to other, and to God. So we're strengthening our own souls in order to be a benefit to others in the future, in order to be a conduit of God's good, and this year especially, in order to be a benefit to ourselves, to be a conduit of being God's good to ourselves, to heal over this year dedicated together. And so we ask for God's help. We ask for community's help. We ask to be together. So for those of you who had vision and were able to see these covenant, you can see them. For the rest of you, you heard from my voice, the audio, uh, either on a podcast or uh, being able to listen. So let me jump in before we jump into what we're supposed to learn from this Torah portion. What I want to, why I'm dedicating this to grief and loss. Because uh, obviously, um, Grief and loss are one of the inarguables in Theravada Buddhism, for instance. It's, it's something we're, we're born, we will live our lives, all of us will get sick, all of us will have loss, all of us will have grief, and then all of us will die. It's called an inarguable. This is something you can't, it doesn't mean that the human being won't try to argue with these, but this is something we all experience. It's our shared humanity. And so it's, as we say, it's the most universal of human experiences. And we here in Israel, the people Israel, Am Yisrael, uh, whether you live down by Gaza or live out where I do in the Galil in the north, or live uh, it's outside of Israel in the diaspora, all of us have uh, had a loss and are in mourning. Uh, obviously, there's graded uh, levels of uh, graduated levels. I think it's called gradient levels. Excuse me. Sometimes I lack the word in English. Um, it, levels of um, who experienced what directly, how much, when. Okay, uh, but I, to understand this project, there's a there's a huge communal. A generational, but also right here in the right moment, a, a national grief and loss, a national loss. So we're going to be focusing on how to bear it, how to heal naturally, right? Organically over time, okay? Um, using the Torah and God uh, as our inspiration, using the teachings of the Dharma of mindfulness to really... Um, have us do this on our own timetable without pressure or skipping, right? We don't need to be on someone else's timetable of how to heal from this, right? Whatever is natural for each of us. And um, we're really going to be um, not only bearing out and healing from this loss, but we're going to see what we can learn from this grief and loss. 
And um, we'll all grow in different ways. And um, it's really going to be an exploration. So you're kind of taking a ride with me. You're investing some level of bitachon of trust. Um, obviously, I'm not going to cover everything in grief and loss. I'm also not an expert in grief and loss. I'm obviously a certified mindfulness meditation teacher in addition to being a rabbi, a rabba. Um, but I will be using... Um, and focusing on the methods and the methodology grounded really in the intersection of those who are experts in brain science, psychology, and contemplative wisdom, but the wisdom from our traditions, our ancient traditions, okay? So um, before we jump into the actual Parsha, I'm going to rely on a poem uh, that uh, comes to us uh, most likely from many centuries ago from the Chinese court where it says, although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. So first I just want to honor that my sisters and brothers down near the border of Gaza and all those from the onslaught of the missiles um, the wind has blown terribly there and continues to. We have lost so many people. And not only through just murder, but torture, rape, and kidnapping, we have captives now who we are attempting to get back from Gaza. So the wind blows terribly here, and it has for them. It has for me an emotional level. Being a Jew, coming out from family who survived the Shoah, the Holocaust, thinking something like this would never happen again. There's a, a terrible win. And the moonlight leaks through the roof planks of this ruined house. So there are ways in which we have this loss, right? We've been separated from. We've been cast out. There is a, an exile from how our lives were before October 7th and how our lives after Shemina Atzeret and Simchat Torah and how our lives are after. So we are in a bit of exile than some of us much more so than others. Those who haven't been able to bury their dead or identify them, some who've lost their whole families, some who the families are still in Gaza. And I'm right here with you. I'm I'm practicing with you and on this path. You will see me deeply go through uh, emotions, tears, um, attempting to have a wise and appropriate response uh, without reactivity. So I'm in on, on this path with you too. So this poem, right, it's really showing us that um, it's really an exile from our previous life and way of being from October 6th before. And um, it, it, it's a feeling of estrangement. It's a feeling of estrangement from our previous selves, from the safety and well-being of how we lived in these kibbutzim and moshavim, these communities near Gaza, how we lived as a people in this land. We live as a people in the world where there is sometimes a hostile world. 
we're well aware of, okay? So this can feel uh, as an exile, pushed out of Gan Eden again, right? The sense of exile. So um, to honor what's in this poem and in our lives, yes, we have the ruined house. We have the terrible winds. We have that, and we're going to acknowledge that. We're not going to try to just, okay, we had it, move on. That's not happening. We have the moonlight also. There's always moonlight, right? So no matter what our loss or losses may be or were and will be, the rumination of the house, right? It's amplified by the cold winds. This moonlight comes through and over time we will recognize it and value it more and more. That's part of this practice together. So we have the impact of the actual events that unfortunately are still going because we have people who have been kidnapped that we're not going to get back because we have missiles still coming in, because we're still burying our dead or not able to identify them, because we are at war. We have these events, right? Which is true. And we need to hold them and honor them. These wounds can feel really open up, right? We're not going to overlook the pain. This is no spiritual bypass or positive thinking going on here. It is a simple fact that in our wounds and in our loss can be and will uncover through the Torah, through the year of the cycle, a deep wisdom and a heartfelt caring for ourselves and other beings. One Torah portion at a time. So let's jump into Bereshit together. What is it that God and tradition want us to learn from this? So first I give a summary. In Bereshit, I'm going to actually... Um, Translated and understand it the way Rashi, our great Parshan, our great commentator from France hundreds and hundreds of years ago, um, he translates Bereshit bara as smichut, as a word pair. So in the beginning of, right, the creation, right? Not, not in the beginning, as if there's this beginning and as if the Torah is teaching us or telling us about the beginning as this fixed thing in the past, a one-time event. This is rather in the beginning of this particular rendition story of where God was in that moment, right? Uh, which is, um, it, 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 it signifies um, a different approach to entering this story. So, God creates this world in uh, six days. We're getting the, the beginning of that story. On the seventh day, God does a verb called Shabbat, right? Shin vet tav, which is not the noun Shabbat, meaning the Sabbath that we all love and know. It's a, it's a verb, which means to cease. So God ceases from creation, from creating, from being a doer to a beer, to being, right? And God, God declares that day of being, of ceasing as holy. First time we're introduced to this. 
So God allows uh, Adam, okay, the, the first human being, Adam Rishon, the first be- human being being created, to eat from all the fruits in Gan Eden, except from the eight Hada'at, the tree of knowledge. And there is kind of a lizard snake uh, that convinces Hava, the mother of all life, to eat some fruit from this eight Hada'at, this tree of knowledge. Hava then gives some to Adam to eat, to and as a punishment, Adam and Chava are kicked out of Gan Eden. We're going to explore that little nugget there. Okay, what does punishment mean? What actually is the consequence? What's the punishment if there is one? Chava goes on to give birth first to two sons and finally a third, Cain eh, and Hevel, and they both offer sacrifice to God. Um but only Hevel's is accepted, and Cain uh, is essentially enraged and um, actually kills Hevel, his brother. The first recorded murder in the Torah. Blood is spilled. The ground cries out. Cain denies responsibility. Uh, as you all know, I teach uh, Musar Mindfulness Vadim groups. Uh, I have three or four of them running right now. It's, it's It can range anywhere between six to 10 people together that come and meet I'm with me on Zoom live every uh, two weeks. And on the off week, they have Havrita. And one of the midot, one of the soul traits that we're working on is actually a harayut, a responsibility. What is balanced responsibility? What is our responsibility to ourselves, to others, to God? Um, and we're doing it through the duties of the heart, wonderful Musar text, through the lens of gate. The gates of repent, the gate of repentance, the Chushuva. So this is very appropriate. This story because um, first we have Adam, Chava, and the Nachash, the snake, not taking responsibility, and then we have Cain. I, I just can imagine God here, Hashem here, being like, "What is up with these people? Not one person has taken responsibility for what they've done." Okay, well we'll talk about that in a minute. So Cain denies responsibility. And he says, this is the first time someone in the Torah answers a question with a question. It's a very classic Jewish stereotypical thing to do. He says, am I my brother's keeper? So I don't think I need to say that part of this path is that you actually do learn you are your sister's and brother's keeper. And what does that mean? And what does that entail? So God punishes him. Or I should say there's consequence for his behavior, right? Lots of consequences. And he, then Cain has to wander the earth. He's lost the privilege to uh, work from the land to produce uh, produce or whatever he might be producing. Uh, I think it was wheat, I'm not sure. And um, it's almost like the, the, the ground won't yield to him anymore. So he has to be a wanderer. And um, terrible, terrible um, punishment in some ways, right? To be someone who cut off from his people, cut off from his land, must go. Uh, it's in a sense, it's a death sentence, right? And that's why he's so fearful going out and why Hashem has to create a mark on him. Um, because at the time, humanity wouldn't have tolerated this wandering uh, person who actually committed the first murder. So um, Hava goes on to have a third son named Sheik. And the Torah lists 10 generations that come from Adam all the way to Noah, who will visit after this Torah portion. And at the end, Hashem begins to notice, I think 
it was there all along. <laughs> but here Hashem really begins to take notice that the people are starting to behave very badly, a type of bad that can't be tolerated, except for Noah, which we'll get to. Okay. So that's a summary of our Torah portion. Um, a big part is, that we learn from our ancestors in this Torah portion that it's helpful for grief and loss is um, a couple of things. We never want to get caught up in the hindrances, right, of uh, desire, that kind of unhealthy attachment to something, which is what Kayan did to his offering and what he expected from God. Um, he expected a, a, a certain response uh, also from God. Uh, we can also get caught up in denial, um, which is a little bit what we witness from um, Adam and Chava, you know, um, which I'll, I'll touch on very, uh, very much where they actually um, hid. <laughs> they hid in the garden. They hid from God as if you can hide from God. Um, but where are they really hiding from? They're hiding from their sin. They're hiding from their behavior. They're hiding from what they did. They're hiding from consequence. They're hiding from what they have to face that there's a consequence for what they've done, right? There's a relationship. Part of that relationship was that the person said, I need you to honor not to touch this certain tree or eat from the certain tree, I should say. Um, I'm, I'm channeling Chava of the touching. And um, that that wasn't honored, right? So there's been a, a breach, a breach in uh, that relationship, that trust. So um, we have to consider this path as a practice that will help us uh, not seek after our own blinded desire or our denial, running away from responsibility or having that restlessness and worry where we just get caught up in the storytelling, the narrative that we can create. Uh, there also can be a sense of sloth and torpor. If I just go and sleep again and hide underneath the covers, I won't have to kind of deal with this. And the greatest hindrance of all is doubt. That's Sephic, right? That you doubt that you can go on. You doubt that this can get better. That you doubt that others will be there for you to carry you for through this grief and loss. I'm here to say that here, I'm here all of us who are members of the Institute for Holiness, so many people out there are here for you to take refuge in. So that's part of this practice that we're to learn from Bereshit, um, that we don't stray after our own heart and eyes, when especially when we are clouded, so clouded in reactivity, right? So um, I want to say that um, in the the darkest moment, right? And dark, unfortunately, has a real colonialistic, often racist implication, like a immoral quality, as if dark is bad, right? Dark darkness. In the world beginning of tohu vavohu, right? This formless darkness. Some people translate it as chaos. They don't really know how to translate it. But that formless, that darkness. Only from that, from that experience of the darkness, God created light. God brought light 
we can only know light because of our experience of the darkness. So this Torah portion comes to really teach us um, that we don't have to fear the dark, right? And and so much of this is re relearning this wisdom, right? That we already have so inherent with us. So we need to remember that when when God through speech says, let there be light, it's at the greatest moment, right? An amount, I would even say, of darkness. So it's up to each of us to be that nair, that candle, that light, to really have our neshama, our soul to shine, to be that light in our greatest moment of darkness, the light to each other. So this is my kavanah, my intention, and my teaching and sharing with you. We're, we'll practice a bit about that, a bit around that soon. Before I jump into that, um, I just want to say that uh, something very important happens in this Torah portion that is so key to our practice. What is that? That when Adam, Adam and Chava, if you haven't read this Torah portion yet, please do so. When they are in Gan Eden, when they are in the Garden of Eve, uh, of Eve? no, Garden of what is it called in English? Garden, Garden of Eden, right? Okay, thank you. I will woo, get it right sooner or later. They, um, when they eat from the Eitzhada'at, the tree of knowledge, and they weren't supposed to do so, right? Um, therefore, kind of seeking after their own hearts and desire, right? Uh, seeking after their own eyes. Um, there's a consequence for their behavior before they're even kicked out of the garden. So listen to this, right? And this is our, our beautiful teacher. May her memory be for Bella saying Nechama Levowitz brings this in her teaching on uh, Bereshit, where she says that the, uh, the punishment here is inherent in the very commission of the sin, a natural consequence of the deed. What does this mean? What does this mean? Listen to, the, to this right here. We're in chapter three, verse eight. And they, meaning Adam and Chava, they heard the voice of Hashem, of the Lord. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. That's the first consequence. You might think, oh, what, well, what's so big about that, right? That's a sign. That's actually a gift from God. When we are off the derrick, when we're off the path and we've sinned, we've done something wrong, we've caused hurt, harm, and suffering, either to ourselves or others, or breach of that relationship, the trust that God said, don't do this, and they do this, right? We have those type of relationships where people expect us not to behave a certain way. We agree to those terms. We feel it inside. We know we've done something wrong. We hide. We hide from ourselves, and then we hide from the person. And sometimes we hide from responsibility. So that feeling of hiding, of, of constriction, of turning in, is the first sign I've done something wrong. Right? And it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to feel that, to know it with mindfulness, and then to make the appropriate, wise, wholesome response. And so this is the first gift to us from the tradition 
and from our ancestors and from the Torah is Adam and Chava hid themselves. Right? That shows that they have a consciousness. That shows that they know they've done something wrong. They hid themselves. Thank God they hid themselves. Right? <laughs> okay, so that, that's a gift. That might not sound like a gift, but it is. It's like, okay, they knew. They knew they made a mistake. They hid themselves. Um, and so what's so amazing about that is like the tree from which in which is in the midst of the garden from which the sin happened, right? It's from the breach and the relationship. And that in the midst of the tree of that garden is actually where they were forced to hide, where they hid themselves. So in the actual Macomb, the place of sin is where they also had to hide. All right. That's very intense. So think about, think about our beautiful people down near Gaza and surviving all this, right? In the ring of fire, horrible things happen in that mist, forced to hide in that mist. That happens, right? That happens for a reason. We have the model here, okay? And so it's so important to just honor wherever you are in your hiding, if you need to still, whether it's physical hiding or hiding within, and not because you sin, because you're surviving the impact of what has happened to you. You're surviving a trauma. Okay? And this is what I really want to honor here. It's, it's very big that each of us have to go at our own pace in response to this. And practice radical self-care. So we're going to jump into our mindfulness meditation practice. I want you to assume whatever posture you need to right now. So that could be in a seated chair like me or you on a zafu, on a cushion. It could be standing, holding onto the chair so that you feel held and loved and supported. It could be lying down in a bed right next to wherever you are either watching or listening, it could be walking, not walking anywhere in particular, just back and forth, whatever posture you need to assume, because we are in the midst of this impact that is quite traumatic to our people. Um, you can be triggered. There could be all sorts of reactivity that come up in a meditation practice with me or anyone. So I want you to really ground, if you are seated to ground your feet, and really feel your feet on Mother Earth. It's very important that you do that right now. I'm moving my feet right now on the ground. I want to know that I'm here. I'm feeling my sit bones very strong. I know that I'm embodied and I'm here with you right now. Whether on video or audio, we're here. We're fully in this present moment. We can look around and go, I'm safe right now. I'm okay right now. I'm right here right now. I'm in this breath. I'm the full body breathing. I'm here right now. At any moment you need a break from this, you are to take it. This is part of responsibility practice and balancing the mida of responsibility is really practicing radical self-care. So that eventually you can be of service to others and bring God's good to others. Right now, you need to do that to yourself, your community, your family, as we take care of one another. Okay, 
So um, we are moving into our meditation together. I will ring the bell when we come out. And today I'm dedicating this teaching of Bereshi to a practice where if you feel safe and comfortable, you can close your eyes. Otherwise, just lower your gaze. If you want to continue looking, if you're on the screen and have vision, feel free to, whatever you need to do. So the Chofetz Chaim, he brings a beautiful teaching in, um, in Al-HaTorah. And he says that the verses at the beginning of the Torah serve as a tremendous inspiration in times of darkness. So obviously at the beginning of creation, the world was completely dark without even the faintest hint of any light. And he says, one cannot chase away darkness with sticks and axes. But kindle, just one small candle, and the darkness is gone. And when the entire world is in total darkness, one statement from the Almighty, from God, let there be light, is sufficient to light up the world. This idea is taught to young children as soon as they begin studying Torah. And although there are times in the world when the world is encompassed, by spiritual darkness, which endangers its very existence, the crimes against the Jewish people, the crimes against humanity. There is always hope. In one instance, the Almighty can send forth his word and there'll be great light. So we, in our in-breath, will breathe in and say to ourselves, let there be light. And on the exhalation, let there be light. Inhalation, let there be light. Exhalation, let there be light. Inhalation, let there be light. Exhalation, let there be light. Inhalation, let there be light. Exhalation, let there be light. Inhalation, let there be light. Exhalation, let there be light. Remember and when the wind is blowing in our ruined house, so many ruined houses, so many ruined homes, so many ruined lives, the moonlight is still shining through. And that is us. Each of us is an air, a light to the world and each other. Inhalation. Let there be light. 
exhalation. Let there be light. Inhalation. Ihior. Vior. We say, let there be light, and there was light. Exhalation. Let there be light. Eeyore, Vior. Let there be light. Exhalation. Let there be light. Nervous light. Inhalation. And exhalation. Being here, right here and right now in the present moment with my voice and with your breath as your anchor. You may want to put your hand on your chest and hold yourself. Feeling your feet fully grounded, moving your toes, feeling your arches around gently above the earth, firmly planted, your sit bones. You are here, right here and right now. From time to time, you may notice strong sensations in the body. See if you can ask yourself, can I be with this? What do I need right here and right now in this moment? What would be compassionate towards myself? Kindness. Knowing that you are being held. Inhalation. Let there be light. Exhalation. Let there be light. Similarly, we can have thoughts, the storytelling, right? The movie running, either replaying what has happened, what the impact was, what the trauma was, or we could be anticipating in the future, it could be fear-driven, ill will, anger. such pain, sadness. Just recognizing their thoughts. And like one of the inarguables of life that this too shall pass, so will the thoughts. So will the stories. So will the movie. Bringing yourself back to the present moment. Inhalation, let there be light. Exhalation, let there be light. Inhalation, let there be light. Exhalation, let there be light. 
knowing that sometimes besides thoughts or strong sensations in the body, there can be very strong emotions that arise that take us away from the present moment, that take us away from the practice and the path. We will be developing and cultivating our skills of mindfulness, of compassion, self-compassion, and learning, learning and growing from each other over time, addressing this grief and loss, being with it, always remembering that on day six, when we were created, Hashem said it was very good. And we have that light within. We bring that light to each other. Inhalation. Let there be light. Exhalation. Let there be light. Ah, oh, allowing yourself that self-compassion as you would to a best friend. Who do you love and hold and how you would speak to them and how you would hold them and treat them? How you are going to treat yourself right here and right now, no matter how foreign or weird or uncomfortable it may be for some of you. That relationship gets strengthened and developed today, right here, right now, together. Let there be light. Exhalation. Let there be light. Being so kind and gentle with yourself through this. This is going to be a long journey for many, if not most of us. And that is okay, one day at a time. Let there be light. Being with whatever is here, one breath at a time. Noticing whatever arises. Again, asking yourself, can I be with this? From time to time, you will hear me go silent. Just allowing all of us to take a moment to be with ourselves, to be still, to be quiet.
with the sound of the bells. It is a signal for us to come out of our meditation practice together. Slowly, gently open your eyes if you've had them closed and you have vision. Giving yourself a deep inner bow for having the bravery and courage to come to this practice together and be here in this moment. Dedicating this time to radical self-care to develop these skills, these paths from our ancient traditions and wisdom from our ancestors, really utilizing this mindfulness and self-compassion and compassion and learning to be on this path together. One day at a time, one Torah portion at a time, parasha. So this is Bereshit. This is in the beginning of us practicing and being on this path together of grief and loss, which is really the story of humanity. Adam and Chava having to hide and learn to stop hiding by leaving Gan Eden, the punishment of having to leave Gan Eden, that exile. We're all part of that family tree. And now today we deeply know it and we'll be practicing and supporting one another. So on behalf of the Institute for Holiness, Kehilat Musar Mindfulness, you can find us at kehilatmusar.com. Please join our community, join this practice, join Avad so you can practice and strengthen yourself. Be in touch with any comments or questions. And we've begun. We've begun the year cycle and we'll move on to Noah next. If you haven't studied Noah, please do. And uh, we will jump into practice together. So thank you. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>